0: case we haven't met, I'm Dino Colombo. I represent people hurt by a truck. It's what we do every day. Navigating the law can be tough, but we're tougher. Let us handle the fight. Hurt by a truck? Call Colombo Law. Welcome to Grounded and Growing in Christ. I'm Dan Rhoda, a pastor of Warland Park Christian Reformed Church, and today we are going to open the Bible together to hear from God's Word. This month we are focusing on the topic of gratitude throughout the Bible exploring how God has instructed us to flourish in the world with hearts grateful and thankful to God. To hear all of the messages in this series, please visit GroundedAndGrowingRadio.com. There you can learn more about this audio ministry, and we'd love if you'd consider providing financial support by making a gift of any amount. If you're not part of the local church, Orland Park Christian Reformed Church welcomes you to worship with us this Sunday as we gather to worship and hear the Word of God proclaimed. You can learn more about our church at groundedandgrowingradio.com. Now let's turn together in our Bibles to explore what God has shared with us about gratitude.
1: Please turn with me in your Bibles. We'll be taking a look at Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verses 1 through 15. We'll be looking this morning at what is... Very likely the most familiar part of the book of Ecclesiastes because of the song by the birds on these first eight verses here in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. And so I couldn't resist naming the sermon Turn, Turn, Turn because we're in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 here. So we'll be looking at this most familiar portion of the book of Ecclesiastes along with the verses that follow immediately after verses 1 through 15. And let's remember as we hear this that these are the very words of God. For everything, there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance What gain has the worker from his toil? I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live, Also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that the people fear before him. That which is already has been, that which is to be already has been, and God seeks what has been driven away." So like I said just a little bit ago, this is likely the most famous passage in the entire book of Ecclesiastes, so much so that it was turned into a song. And despite its fame, this is one of the passages within Ecclesiastes which people don't seem to be able to agree about. Uh, some commentators, some bad, some good commentators believe that this is a fatalistic statement, that we are trapped in an endless reality where there's no gain to be had. There's never any growth, never any goal to any sort of thing. There's only the repeated reality of thing after thing after thing after thing. Just one thing after another. Because of this, one quite old and and quite theologically liberal commentary on this passage calls this section, I'm quoting here, the hopelessness of struggle against an arbitrary God. That's the way they describe this portion of Scripture. And there's one relatively new and relatively conservative commentary that says that this is a passage wherein people, including the preacher himself, the one who's speaking here himself, must struggle with the depressing reality that they can't know God's purpose or understand the times and therefore simply deal with the depression that results from that. But in reading this portion, is that the point here? Is the point the hopelessness of the struggle that we experience in life? Well, I think, the reason, I think the answer is no. I don't believe that that's what this passage is giving to us, seeking to give to us, or giving to us in reality. And I think that there are three important realities, three aspects within the text that teach us and tell us that this is not just some sort of arbitrary meaninglessness that this passage is speaking of, but there's some good, beautiful realities to this life which we live. Here's the first reason I think that this uh, is, is telling us something good. The first reason is that the poem here contained within the first eight verses <coughs> of the chapter, the poem is really quite beautiful. There are a lot of aspects of this poem that is that's, that are truly beautiful. The reality is that we live a long way from the context into which this was written, and yet we can still pick up some of the beauty that's contained here. and And we see that in the fact that the birds were able to just sort of Lift this out of Ecclesiastes, put it into a song, add, turn, turn, turn. There you go. you got a beautiful song that people still know today. This is a beautiful poem. And I don't believe that that the preacher here, that Kohelet, that Solomon in Ecclesiastes here, I don't believe that the preacher is trying to create something beautiful to give to us a depressing reality. Here's the second reason that I think this is an encouraging portion of Scripture. The reason is this. Did you notice in reading this portion of scripture that one word that we've heard over and over and over again in the book of Ecclesiastes didn't appear here? If you think you know what that word is, I want to just give you a little bit so that you can maybe try to figure it out. You can look in your Bible and see if you know what word is missing here in this portion of scripture. And if you know, you should just maybe whisper it to the person next to you so you can see if you've got it right. I appreciate that you're doing this. You can, I won't know. Don't t- just tell me that you got it right. But the other person will know. The word that's missing is vanity. I hope that you got it right. This is the first portion in the book of Ecclesiastes where the word vanity doesn't show up. The first time that we encounter a, a portion of scripture that the preacher talks about life where he doesn't say, This is all vanity. This is all mere breath. This is all inscrutable. This is the first time that a passage comes to us where the meaning of what is given to us is not said to be vain. And here's the third reason. The third reason that I think that what we've been given here is good, and that is that in verse 11, after having relayed that there is a time for everything under heaven, the preacher in Ecclesiastes says that God has made everything beautiful in its time. The passage itself says after relaying and recounting the words in this portion of scripture that God has made all of these times beautiful. And so far from this being an arbitrary, hopeless struggle that's given to us, What the preacher here in Ecclesiastes 3, 1 through 15 does is to tell us that life is beautiful, life is good, life contains meaning, and particularly so when we know God whose work is eternal and established. That's what we're going to be talking about here. And so let's work through each of the portions that are in front of us. The beginning here is for everything a season. That's the first point here of this message today for everything a season. That's the first eight verses, the most familiar part of the book of Ecclesiastes. Now, if we were to break this down, you likely notice that there are 14 phrases here in verses 1 through 8, a time to be born and a time to die, all the way to the very end where we're told there's a time for war and a time for peace, 14 total phrases. That's the number of completion in the Bible, number seven, times two. The other thing that takes place here is that each pair contains contrasting opposites. And according to one Old Testament scholar, Tremper Longman, this is a common figure of speech in Hebrew poetry. For all of you Hebrew poetry buffs, it's called a merism, but every time in Hebrew poetry where two opposites are put together, it's supposed to indicate completeness, So this is a beautiful, well-formulated poem that tells us of the completeness of life. And the point, according to Phil Riken, is that there is a fittingness to what happens in this life ordained by God. It's well-constructed. It's beautifully ordered. It tells us of the completeness of life. And it all speaks to us that there is a fittingness to life as it is ordained by God. Here's the meaning of the passage, if we're to try to understand it in language that might be a bit more contemporary. Everybody who is here has been born. And if the Lord tarries, everybody who is sitting here will someday die. There are times where you and I will plant without seeing any fruit. And there will be times where we harvest what's been growing. There are times when a demolition crew needs to come and knock down the walls which once made up the nurseries in the church building. There's a time to build up and recreate The sanctuary so that it might be new and beautiful. There are times to weep when you've lost a loved one, and there are times to laugh when somebody that you care about shares a joke that just is so fitting with their personality. At times, we mourn whenever we witness senseless tragedy, and at other times, it's only fitting for us to dance, particularly when we see a couple say, I do, and we celebrate. At times, the only fitting thing is to embrace. At other times, one must realize that if their intentions are wrong, the only thing that's appropriate is to refrain from embracing. Sometimes we continue to pursue. Other times, we let them walk away. In some instances, the best thing to do is to hold on to a special keepsake. At other times, we need to throw it away and move on. There are times when the right thing for us to do is to shut our mouth especially if we don't know about the things that we're speaking of. And at other times, it'd be wrong not to speak up, particularly when there is injustice or wrongdoing. And to be silent would be to be complicit. There are times to love that which is good. There are times to express hatred of that which is evil. There are times when a good nation will need to go to war, and there are times when a good nation must pursue peace. But more than that, These 14 lines of scripture paint for us a complex, a challenging, and a somehow viscerally beautiful picture of life. And that's confirmed for us in verse 11. He has made everything beautiful in its time.
0: Today's message on grounded and growing in Christ will continue in just a moment. To learn more about Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, to listen to other messages from our audio ministry, or to make a financial gift of any amount, please visit groundedandgrowingradio.com. That's groundedandgrowingradio.com. This audio ministry is made possible by gifts from listeners like yourself, and we greatly appreciate all those of you who continue to make it possible to share this work with listeners across Chicagoland. Now let's return to today's message on the topic of gratitude.
1: The catechism wants for believers, those who wrote it, want it for for you and me to be joyful in the way that we live our lives. What must you know in order to live a life of both comfort and joy? And there are three answers that are given. First, you need to recognize that you are a sinner. Second, you need to realize that you have been set free and redeemed from every single part of your sin when you trust in Jesus Christ. And the third thing that we're told that we must know in order to live and die in joy and comfort is how we can thank God for saving and redeeming us. And how we can do that is by doing good, by following the commandments of God, by listening to him and and doing his will, by denying ourselves and taking up our cross and following after Jesus, by putting other people's needs before our own needs, in doing good, in denying self, in seeking to advance others rather than self, in there is one of the keys to joy. And so do you want to enjoy life? Do you want to enjoy this brief and beautiful life that God has given to you? Well, be joyful and do good. That's the first two. But don't neglect the next three that come to us from the preacher because we're told that these two are gifts from God. Food, drink, and enjoyment in work. Food, drink, and enjoyment of work. God has given to you the blessing of food. God has given to you the blessing of food. I've been thinking about it this week, and I think about this a lot. This this runs through my mind. I often wonder who it was that first decided that something was was food, right? Like who was the first person that saw a lobster sort of crawl out of the sea and said, "You know what? That is going to be dinner tonight." I would never do that. You know, I'm just going to take that lobster. I'm going to break them apart. I'm going to get some drawn butter. And it's going to be delicious. It would not have been me. I would have been like, disgusting. Let's get away from that thing. And yet, somebody else said, you know, no, that's food. That's good food. It's a gift from God. Good food to enjoy. Who was the person that discovered that if you just simply threw food in the fire... That it would be better than if you didn't throw it in the fire, right? You know what I mean. Like, if you just heat something up, you unlock flavors that aren't there if you don't heat something up. Like, who is the person who saw a cow walking around and said, you know what, I bet if I take some meat from inside of there and put it on the fire, it will become the basis for the greatest restaurants that will ever exist, steakhouses, right? If only I do that, if only I throw it on the fire after I take it out. And yet, this is a gift from God, something good for us to enjoy, Or maybe even better yet, who was it that determined that if you just took a little bit of dough and put some crushed up tomatoes on that and then some cheese and then some pepperoni and then just heated it up that you would have the greatest food that anyone could have ever conceived of? We had a wonderful Italian woman in the first service who said that if she didn't invent pizza, she certainly perfected it and she's willing to let us know in a couple of weeks when she brings a pepperoni pizza for us. This is one of the good things that God has given to us to enjoy. In this brief and yet beautiful life, God says, enjoy food. Good food, good times with good friends. And more than that, enjoy good drink. This likely would have been both the water necessary for life and the wine, which was one of the most substantial parts of the beverage diet of the Israelites. The wine that they would drink daily, the wine that they would drink during feasting. God has given us drink to sustain us and drink for feasting. And this is a gift, and for it we should praise and thank Him. And then last, work. Pleasure in our toil. Listen, work is still vexation after the fall, work has become toil after the fall. It's still hard. There might be long stretches or long swaths of it where it's not particularly enjoyable. And yet, in the midst of all of it, it is good for us to give ourselves wholeheartedly to the work that's in front of us and find that in doing that, there's enjoyment in the toil that we have. You know, you might find that while it... it It's harmful to the body, it's difficult to be, you know, crouched and and swinging a hammer that nonetheless there is joy that happens as you are giving yourself and absorbed in your work as you see the, the home that's being constructed and built. You might realize that it is toil to be the teacher of a classroom and have a bunch of unruly students that you and you alone have to corral on so many days and yet you find that as they experience something new that there is great enjoyment in the toil that you have in front of you. You might think, as you are working the night shift as a nurse and passing meds, I've been giving too many patients, my doctors are obstinate, my patients won't listen, this is nothing but toil, and yet, in the good that I'm doing, I can find real and true pleasure. Or you might find that your children are at that place in their life where they only know how to tear things apart and don't know how to put them back together, that the house is always a mess because your daughter knows now where the pots and pans are but doesn't know how to put them back, and yet, in the midst of all of that, There is great pleasure as you are raising your child. Great joy. God has given to us joy. Joy in the midst of toil. Pleasure in the toil that he's given us to do. And so be joyful. Do that which is good and righteous and holy. Eat and drink and enjoy your food and your beverage. And take pleasure in the work that the Lord has given you to do. This is a gift from God. In this brief and beautiful life, there's enjoyment and joy. And then take a look at the way that the passage ends by talking about the enduring work that God has done. God's work endures forever. Verses 14 and 15, I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that the people fear before him. That which is already has been. That which is to be already has been. And God seeks what has been driven away. So our work is temporary, right? It passes away. There's a time to be born and a time to die for all of us. There's a time to tear down because no work is established forever. A time to begin again, building once again. But the work that the Lord has done. The work that the Lord has done endures forever. We can't fathom what God has done from beginning to end, but we are given in this verse the perspective of the one who exists beyond the sun, right? We don't know how or why God operates as he has, but we know that God's work endures forever. It lasts forever. And that he even seeks what's been driven away, that which seems to have been so fleeting. He seeks after it to make it enduring and establish it. There are three things I think that we can learn from this. First, God's work and God's work alone endures forever. God's work alone is firm and established. God's work alone cannot be added to because it is done and it is complete. And so what that means, what that means is that if we want our work to be of lasting value or worth or import, we must know God and ask for him to establish our work. If we want our work to be enduring, to mean something that is broader or bigger than just us, we must know God and ask him to establish our work. The final verse of Psalm 90 is regularly resonating within my own heart and soul. Establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Psalm 90 was written by Moses, a man who knew of the fleeting and futile nature of work under the sun and yet also knew that he served an enduring God who was able to establish work. If you want your work to be enduringly meaningful, you need to know the one who's, whose work is established and, endure, and enduring and eternal. And you need to ask him, Lord, just establish the work that I'm doing. Make it to have eternal impact and import. Give me good and important work to do to your honor and glory. Take whatever meager things that I have done and establish them, we pray. Second, the fact that verse verse 14 here talks about God's enduring work, it, it reminds us of the fleeting nature of our work, right? How temporary it is, everything that we do. And so as we enjoy the things that God has given to us under the sun, those five things that we mentioned earlier, we realize we realize that if we want to truly enjoy them, truly enjoy good food, good drink, good work, good joy, we must not enjoy them in and of themselves, but enjoy them as they point us to an eternal reality. Let me try to explain what it is that I mean. All of these things are good, but they are fleeting goods, right? But every one of those good things can point us to an enduring reality. Well, I'm joyful now. But I realize how flimsy my joy can be in this life. I realize how at times all I feel is is sorrow or depression or or darkness. I I realize my own joy is flimsy. But I realize it's there. Well, let that joy point you to an everlasting and an eternal joy which waits us. As you do good, right? And and realize that, again, fleeting nature of the good that we do in this life. How often... We just think of ourselves and not of others. Well, let that, let thinking of that point you to the one who was good in every single way and succeeded in every single way that we failed. Let that point you to Jesus and to the eternal work that he has established, right? When you enjoy good food or good drink, let it point you to the eternal reality that the Lord promises us that he will eat and drink with us in his coming kingdom when we are with the Lord forever. Let those temporary joys in this life point you to eternal realities and be thankful. And third, God's work is eternal. It lasts forever. You know, Ephesians chapter 3 talks about how Christ Jesus realized the eternal purpose of the Father. Specifically, verse 11 says, this was according to the eternal purpose that he realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. Ephesians chapter 3 talks about how the Lord's work has had a specific plan. God has always planned to redeem a people for himself. And if you're in Christ Jesus, you are a participant in that great and finished and eternal plan. It means that when Christ Jesus came and said, It is finished, he meant it. That there's no more that can be added to what Jesus has done, everything's been accomplished. That work is eternal. It's established. And in this fleeting world, even as it's beautiful, it, we recognize that it's fleeting. There's been, there's been one act that's taken place on this globe which endures forever. It's the cross and the resurrection. And that when we are joined to Christ by faith, then our works begin begin to be of eternal merit as well. But only when we only when we commit ourselves to him. The eternal work that's spoken of in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 that's, that's firm and established, it's, it was realized in Christ Jesus. And so we need to trust in him, trust in Jesus, trust in the one who is con- in control of time. And as we began part of our time by talking about the fact that God is sovereign over all of our times… Over the time to be born and the time to die, and, and all of the other times that happen within this, within this world and within this life, we recognize also that He is sovereign over the fact that, that Christ, in the fullness of time, will return again. That when time has been filled, Christ will return. And He will welcome us. He will welcome us into His presence and the presence of the Father and this mortal life, which is beautiful. And yet is still filled with death and sorrow and war and hate, it will be swallowed up with peace, as we who trust in Jesus abide with Him forever.
0: My prayer is that the Lord speaks to you through His word, that we cultivate grateful hearts to Him and flourish in a world searching for the hope that we find only in Jesus. To hear more about gratitude, to learn about Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, or to support our work preaching the Bible on AM 1160 through this audio ministry, visit us today at groundedandgrowingradio.com. I'm Pastor Dan Rhoda, and on behalf of the Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, we want to thank you for your support and partnership in proclaiming the Bible here on AM 1160. If you're not part of a local church, Orland Park Christian Reformed Church welcomes you to worship with us this Sunday. You can find all the details online at groundedandgrowingradio.com. Thanks again for joining us, and until next time, may God bless you.
1: Grounded and Growing in Christ can be heard weekdays at 2 p.m. on AM 1160. I'm Derek Bukema, pastor of Orland Park Christian Reformed Church. This month we're focusing on the topic of gratitude throughout the Bible, exploring how God has instructed us to flourish in the world with hearts grateful and thankful to God. If you're not a part of a local church, Orland Park Christian Reformed Church welcomes you to worship with us this Sunday as we gather to worship and hear the Word of God proclaimed. You can learn more about our church at groundedandgrowingradio.com. There's never a good time for your furnace or air conditioner to stop working, but we're honored that for the past 100 years, Atlas Butler customers have relied on us the night before Thanksgiving, the day before their wedding, and even Christmas morning for fast, convenient service. Your trust means everything. Call today, get it fixed today. That's our pledge to you. Atlas Butler is at your service call.